So I've done it again. After putting together the show for this morning, I had totally forgotten that I'd reconfigured the uh, platform that I record on and forgot to press the microphone on, which means it's going to sound different this particular episode than it's supposed to, which really just bothers the piss out of me. Got to put a note down because I got a new system and I forget that it's just picking up the microphone on my computer and not my highly prized golden microphone that's in front of my face. So I apologize once again for this, uh, this difference in audio quality. I hope you will overlook that and simply stick with the message for today. But uh, I've made a post-it note. Check your mic. 26 years, you'd think I'd get my shit together, don't you think? Anyway, time to go up the down staircase in the outdoor. Make sense out of the senseless, but all possible. Find the obvious, buried in the absurd. Let's get to it. Welcome back. It's time for this Saturday foray into common sense during these uncommon times that we live in. So thanks so much for joining me again. You know, there's a lot going on this past week for me. And as I always say, I don't want to ever just jump on this microphone to bloviate, speculate, and verbally defecate, which all may happen in this show. But I don't intend that. That's not the objective. The objective is to find some something that works in our lives, no matter what's going on. And that, to me, is, is a lifelong task. It's an arduous task. It's not for the faint of heart. I think that's why most people skip the bullshit that they have to deal with, because they don't want to deal with it, which unfortunately becomes compound interests of the worst kind. You know, I am uh, so very, very, I don't know if the word's lucky. I don't believe in luck, per se. But I'm so aware of the fact that I've been put in different positions and in uh, places and spaces over my lifetime to be of assistance to people in difficulty, in various forms of difficulty. And all of that, in my observation, experience, and opinion, comes from the fact that my mom was an alcoholic, and she was in major difficulty internally. And so what she didn't handle on the inside eventually manifested itself on the outside. And alcohol became a way to medicate, to dull the pain, which then becomes a problem in itself. There are no answers at the bottom of a glass, I'm here to tell you. I've drained a few in my time, and I can attest to that. So we, we tend not to deal with the shit that's dealing with us because it, it's too painful. And because of that, it creates a ripple effect that's even, unfortunately, bigger than the problem that started this whole thing, whatever that might be. And I was thinking about a couple uh, that I worked with almost a decade ago, and they had newly married, and uh, there had been uh, there'd been an affair in their relationship. And to bring a young couple back from where they were to where they are now, which they're still married, they have kids, um, has zero pretty much to do with me, but it has something to do with the process of facilitating common ground for people where they can find their way back towards each other. Because I'm here to tell you, that what's pissing you off isn't really what's pissing you off. What's bothering you isn't really what's bothering you. There's so many layers to the human condition that we, we're unaware of to some greater or lesser degree. But all the stuff that happens in our lives, to me, it's like it's like you know being in the in the lake and trying to hold down a major sized you know beach ball underwater. You can only do it for so long, and then it pops up and it pops all over the place. And so many times we bleed on the people that didn't cut us in the first place, which is difficult. So you find people in relationships who are going through this shit and 
they leave the relationship thinking it's going to fix something. And of course, they just take all their shit to the next relationship. And that goes on and on. And so you find people that are kind of, you know, just spinning around looking for a way out. But actually, the only way out is in. In and through is the way out. And most people don't want to address that. And so when I go back to my mom and the difficulties that she had and the challenges that she's had, she became one of my greatest teachers in a very sad and, and uh, profound way. Uh, she died when she was 59 years young. And I never knew. I have some inklings here, that, but I never heard it from her what the main cause of all this difficulty was. So I'll never forget that. And I would talk to her because you know, that's what a son does. Once I figured out it wasn't me, because it took that on for a while. It's not me. I'm not the problem here. I'm not causing this. When I was a young kid, I kind of took that on. Uh, but once I figured that that wasn't the case, nor was it my sister, uh, it came down to what is it that she's dealing with that she won't deal with that's dealing with her and what causes all these challenges that she's up against. And while we had conversations here and there, uh, she never gave it up. And she felt apparently that what was causing all this was worth hiding even though the fallout or the collateral damage from not dealing with it which is alcoholism and your family falls apart and comes back together falls apart and all the physical challenges she went through and an early death was more of a way out than it was just to deal with the shit and get it over with and build a new life there's a television show that i check in on every now and again i'm not big on tv because it's just What's the point at this, you know, at this point in my life, what's the point? Unless I can watch something, we sat down and watched Trial, the Judgment at Nuremberg the other day, mostly because of the acting, but also was a reminder of a very difficult time in our nation's history and the world's history. And these are the kind of things I'll watch. I don't want to sit and watch, and, you know, sit through commercials. I just don't. Anyway, I digress. Um, but there's this show on called Intervention, and it's interesting to me how much of it is staged, I don't know, so that's why I don't spend a whole lot of time watching it, but the concept of an intervention with people uh, and calling someone on their bullshit is has moment for me because I've been in that position. And they have these counselors and, and facilitators that, that move this forward. And inevitably, it's always the same thing, whether it's alcohol, drugs, it doesn't matter what the, what the malady is or what the difficulty is. The person in it can't see it to a greater or lesser degree. And there's a huge denial there, which is not just a river in Egypt. Denial is like the Achilles heel for humanity, that we don't want to deal with the shit that's in our lives. It's there for a reason. I'll get to that in a minute. And I've watched these shows, and there's a guy sitting on the couch, and his whole family's surrounding him, and he's been drinking himself to an early death, and they're all concerned about him, and they're crying and writing him letters, and he could give a shit. He's like, it doesn't matter. It's all of you that's the problem, not me which is obviously bullshit. It's also something you see very prevalent in society. You're all the problem out there. I got nothing to do with it. And so eventually what happens if they go through treatment, they find out that, of course, they do have a problem with substance abuse, number one. Number two, there's something that started. There's something that lit the fuse. There's something down there that's making this become a thing in their lives. It comes down to the bottom thing that, uh, you know, they have to deal with this. And we peel the layers back and layers back and layers back. And they finally get down to it. Somebody died. The particular one I watched today was a brother's death in a car accident. And the kid never dealt with it. And it hurt so much that he just decided not to deal with it because it hurt too much. And in, in, in his attempt to circumvent the pain, he caused more. It is, it is, as I said, it is compound interest of the worst kind. Not dealing with the stuff doesn't change a thing. It just keeps imploding on itself. 
It's like having a toxic leak, really, over years of people not dealing with stuff. It leaks out and, and it ruins relationships and it and it, it challenges people on levels that they shouldn't have to be challenged with because if you dealt with it, it goes away to a greater or less degree. You know, I was going to write a Facebook post last week because a lot of what I do ends up there. And it was about the splinter I had in my finger last week. You know, it happens all the time. I'm out in the garage working, throwing old pieces of wood around. I got a splinter into my hand. And those splinters, once they go in, they go at various depths, right? Various sizes. And you only got a couple options. If it goes down real deep, you have to wait for the splinter to work itself to the surface. That's how it goes. As the layers of skin kind of erode away and your body makes the changes that it goes through every 30, 60, and 90 days, the splinter will eventually work itself to the surface. You got a couple options at that point. You could just push it back in deeper or you could pull it out. And pulling it out hurts. Pushing it back in deeper hurts worse. And that's the metaphor that I see so many people. And I've done this myself in my own life back in the day. It's the only reason I can even talk about this stuff because I know the process intimately of things that were so painful. I didn't want to effing deal with them. And yet they ended up dealing with me in a much more harsh manner. And then you end up sitting on the side of the road with your thumb up your butt going, how did this happen? Well, here's the path that got you there. So this morning, the premise of this show was wide open. As I said, I don't want to get on just, just blurt it out. But I started to run into a few people that were telling me about the problems that are going on in their life. And I don't know why people feel like they need to do this. I'm not Dr. Phil, but I get it. And I got a particular, I got a, uh, a message on Facebook about someone whose uh, daughter had been uh, dealing with medical problems over the years. She's not probably in her 20s at this point. And this is a woman who used to listen to me on Oprah Radio back in the day. She's uh, stayed in touch in a professional manner, and she's read all my books and listened to radio and things like that. But she sent me a note yesterday that her daughter, as of today, I believe, or next Tuesday, the 23rd, um, has been clean and sober for a year. And that she's learned to deal with the physical pain and the physical problems at that level as opposed to masking them, which made everything worse. It is the most simplistic way I can explain it. That if you don't deal with your shit, your shit will deal with you. And some people will do it for a lifetime. You know, these people who end up bitter instead of better from the challenges and change that life put in their path. And so I alluded to just a few minutes ago about the shit. Now, again, I don't mean to offend anybody, but in Chicago, we say shit like we say, you know, pass the ketchup. I mean, it's just the word I use to fill in the blank and fill in the fodder of all the garbage that we have to deal with in our life. Some of it is by chance and some of it is by choice. Sometimes there's melding of two. But I'm here to say that these these things, like my, with my mom, you know, it took me years to see this. It's not a gift per se, but a lesson, an opportunity to grow, something to change from. Now, listen. One thing I've learned, because I can put Wild Turkey 101 Proof away with the best of them, and I have, and I probably could still do it, but I never became alcoholic. I never had anything in my life, even though there's been difficulties and challenges and a lot of pain at times, that I felt like I needed to crawl into a bottle and never come back out again. Never had that. And maybe part of that is because of my mom. And It is a lesson on how not to deal with stuff. My sister's the same way. So that chain was broken. And because the chain was broken, my kids didn't have to deal with it. There's other stuff that they have to deal with, but alcohol stopped right there. And I'm not, it's not like I'm proud of it or I have to go out and, you know, become a counselor for this stuff, but I'm just, maybe I am on radio a little bit, but I don't mean to pontificate on this, 
or get into the bully pulpit too much, but it's just like there's so many ways to ease the suffering in our lives that we skip over because we don't want to deal with it. Because the, the darkness of it is far more uh, difficult and scary in our mind than actually going through it and figuring out what the shit is. And, and in all honesty, this was not what I was going to talk about today. It just kind of happened that way. So the first 12 minutes of this is all of that. And if you find value in there, I'm here to tell you that it's worth doing the dig to get to the shit. It's just worth it because otherwise you live your life on one leg. You kind of just limp along. And I have friends of mine who uh, have lost children in car accidents at 16, 17, 18, 24, 22 years old. I have another friend of mine whose, whose daughter died at 44. I've known her since she was a little kid. You know, these are very, very challenging, difficult things. And not a one of them, not a one of them, to their credit, in my opinion, ever crawled into a bottle and never came out. There are those that do. I just don't know anybody that has, even though they've suffered enormous loss. So I say to myself, what's the difference between this family whose daughter was killed in an auto accident when she was just 16 the day after she got her driver's license and her boyfriend, who was 17, died just a couple days later, that they saw this as a way to become better, not bitter. And the person who's 16 or 17-year-old dies in an auto accident, crawls in a bottle, never comes out. What's the? I don't know the difference, except there's tools that some of them have and maybe the other ones don't. And life is about having a stocked toolbox, I'm here to tell you. Because there's all kind of different levels of mechanics. I'm a pretty handy guy, but there are things I'm not supposed to do. Back in the day when I took auto shop, uh, I loved it. You know, I got down there three days a week and to work on cars and get a grade. Are you kidding me? Give me a carburetor. There's no more carburetors anymore unless you have a, a vintage car. But all those things I used to learn about the cars working on them now do not serve me well driving a Kia. <laughs> so when there's service to be done, even an oil change at this point in my life, you take it to the guys that can pay them to do it. So it's knowing what tools work and what don't. And if you know, it comes down to the you know the, the thing that was greatly said about the quote. If you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. If you're going in a circle, coming back around and around and around again, and it ain't working for you, then do something different. So is this metaphor of working on vehicles. You know, I at one time could change the plugs and do the oil change and do a tune-up and want me to set the points and again. I did all that stuff. I loved it. And now I'm to the point where, like, the game has changed. I'm not able to do those things not really as interested as I used to be. So I need to find someone who is able to do that so I don't have to deal with it. So it's being smart enough to know which of your tools work and which don't. I think there are three toolboxes in our lives. There are the people who have a toolbox and they kind of shake it. They go, what, what's, what's all that going on in here? What's all this stuff? They're not really sure what the tools are because we all come in with stuff. We all come with stuff to deal with. We also, I believe, come with the tools to deal with them, but we're not taught that. I've never went to a class in high school or college, it was outlined as Life 101, 102, 103, and 104. And here's what to do when your parents die young. Or here's what to do when your child dies of SIDS. Or here's what you do when your son is killed in the war. Or here's what you do when your son and daughter are killed in an auto accident. There's none of that. You have to deal with that stuff on your own. And what happens? Most of the time, we don't. So there's that first group of people shaking their toolbox. I think we're a majority of people live. You know, we're living at the headlines and seeing what's going on out there. And not dealing with the shit in here, it's so much easier to say, fill in the blank is an ass, as opposed to me with dealing with my stuff. It's a way to deflect our energy out and anger out to other people we don't even know and place it on them, as opposed to have to deal with it ourselves. So most of the people walk around shaking this toolbox. What's in here? They're not really sure. 
at the very top of the food chain are the master mechanics of the world. Uh, the people who have figured out their shit and say, this tool here fits this over here. And if you turn it this way, you will get this result. But you don't want to do it this way. And that's, you know, there, there are books and authors and counselors and a myriad of people that got their shit figured out. And they become an example for the people that don't. In the middle is where I think a lot of people live as well. I kind of think I'm a middle mechanic. So I've shaken the box. I said, these are my tools and these are the problems. And I kind of know what this does and I kind of know what that does. So I'm able to look up at the people who are the master mechanics and say, oh, I get it. I've been using this tool wrong. What if I just turn this a little bit? Oh, got it. Huh, interesting how that fixed it. To me, the best part is these groups are all connected. They're all accessible to each other. So while you may be in a position where something challenging, difficult, horrible, devastating, life-threatening, all fill-in-the-blank has happened and occurred to you in your life, see that this is an opportunity to become better and not bitter. To find a tool in there that you can see the master mechanics using, uh, even the middle mechanics using, and say, what if I applied this instead of the things I've been doing that haven't given me what I, what I hoped for? And that kind of ties into what I really wanted to talk about today was dying. And I've had two times in my life, when I was 19 and when I was 27, that I'm not supposed to be here. On paper, he's DOA. He's done. When I was not, It was 45 years ago this past Thursday when I was 19 years old working at Osco Drugstore in Chicago part-time, going to college part-time, that I got electrocuted on a bailing machine and I was toast, literally. And it was only through circumstance, grace, benevolence, providence, and the pharmacist staying late that I'm still here. I was smashing boxes in a machine that I did every time I worked. No big deal. The, the little backside button on there, uh, reset button had to be used because there was something wrong with the outside button. We've been told to use the inside button. I, I remember sticking my hand around with my right thumb, pressing the button. It's the last thing I remember. And then when I woke up, I had somehow pulled off the machine. They figured I was on for about 15 to 30 seconds, maybe up to a minute, stuck to this machine, this ginormous iron giant, I called it. And uh, my forehead was on, on the top of it. My left hand was on the metal door. My right finger was on the switch. And I was making a nice little circuit. And thank God I had on, you know, rubber-soled construction shoes because I wasn't able to... And the floor is concrete. So I wasn't fully grounded four ways. Otherwise, we're not having this conversation. And somehow the will to live kicked in at some point and I was able to pull myself off. And I, all I remember was waking up to this horrible smell of burnt flesh and this guy sitting on my chest, pounding away, doing CPR. His name was Mike, his pharmacist at the drugstore. He happened, I'm using quote fingers, he happened to stay late that night. Never stayed late on a Friday night. Why would he? They closed an hour earlier. I'm shoving boxes in at five minutes to 10. Mike was still there. I'm so lucky he was he was in the building. I wouldn't be here. And the, the sights and sounds of that evening are so vivid in my mind, but I hadn't really thought about it. Every January 19th, I don't think about it. But for some reason this year, 45 years later, it was just on me like a coat. Do you, you realize how lucky you are to still be alive? And sometimes I've forgotten that. So I needed the reminder apparently this year. Uh, and and I, I remember that he had put this uh, salve on my fingers. Uh, actually, it was a woman on Facebook who worked with me back then. And I, 
haven't heard from in 45 years, who reminded me that Mike put this salve on my fingers because it would help them for not fusing together. How in the hell I'm able to type is beyond my comprehension. I'm looking at my hand right now under the lamp on my desk, and I can see where they did skin grafts and where the bone, you know, was down to the bone, third degree burns. There was a hole through my right thumb. You could look straight through it. And none of this was on my life chart that I know of, but apparently it was. And so sparing you all the gory details, which, by the way, you can either read or listen on the audio version of, of uh, Phenomenon, which is my third book. There's a chapter in there called Shock Therapy. It's the first chapter of the book. And it kind of outlines, I think, how all of this started for me. It came out of something very difficult, very challenging. But because of that, I've had incredible experiences I can't really explain, none of which I am convinced would happen had that not taken place. And on top of it, there was, you know, when I got to the hospital, they put me in and wrapped my hand up and my, uh, you know, they were able to cut the, the skin between the fingers to keep them separate. And it was just a mess. And I was in there for about a week and a half. They were more concerned actually about my heart bouncing around from the electric shock than the actual fingers because you know, they can work with those. And probably a week into it, there was, uh, every day a nurse would come in, uh, from the night I got there for about a week, and, and they'd scrub my burns. They had to clean them because burns get infected really, really quick. And so they scrubbed my hand and scrubbed my burns and all the places on my body where the burn marks were. And it was always a pretty nurse came in. So while it sucked, it was also not a bad deal if you get my drift. And literally a week later, this young lady walks by, stops and looks at me, and comes walking to my room, and I knew her from high school. Her name was Lori, and uh, she was a dietitian at the hospital. So she wasn't working in the in the burn unit per se, but she was, you know, doing the, the diet charts. And she came in and sat down and we're having, what are you doing here? And so she was the manager of our football team. And it was kind of like a, a perfect setup. So this had all happened and I'm sitting in the hospital doing my thing. And, uh, I had to keep the hand elevated to this day, 45 years later, I sleep with my right arm elevated. That's how much of an impact it had in my life back then. And she came in. And we're talking back and forth. And then the nurse came in to clean my wounds and scrubbing them down and scrubbing them down. And it is just, it is, I don't want to repeat that. Let's put it that way. This little brush they had, I, I could never forget this thing. On one side was plastic bristles. The other side was a sponge. And she would take this betadine, which was like this, this chocolate covered antiseptic and pour it over my hand and scrub, scrub, scrub with the plastic brushes until the dead skin came off and then tamp it down and then rewrap it. And my arm would hang from an IV holder because if it went, went down below my heart, it would swell. So anyway, she's doing all this, the nurse. And Lori's sitting there talking to me in the nurse's there. And when, when the nurse leaves, Lori said something to me that was profound. And it ties right into what I was just talking about, about dealing with your shit. She said, John, the minute you take ownership of the pain is the minute you're going to be into a heal. You need to be able to do this yourself. And I didn't see any reason to change it. It was a nice, pretty blonde nurse coming in cleaning my, my wounds. Of course, she was right. And eventually, I, when I got released, I ended up having like a mini pharmacy at my home. I had all the stuff. I'd scrub it. And while it was ugly to look at and difficult and very painful, and I didn't know how it was going to come back at all. I had no idea I'd ever write books or type or anything like that ever again. Uh, I'm pretty well convinced that my self-care of my hand is what allowed me to heal as well as I have. Or I could have left it be and it would have become a claw. And who wants that? And so that kind of ties in with what I was saying before is, while I didn't want to deal with all the pain and the bullshit and the ugliness of it, once I did, it improved dramatically. 
And so what I'm saying here in short form is I've eaten up 24 minutes already and sticking to my 30 minute time zone here. Uh, they're connected. Deal with the shit in your life. Otherwise it will deal with you and find ways to get common ground with that, which is, was, is working on you. It's there for a reason. It's there for you to become better and not just bitter because bitter eats up your energy and it changes you as a human being. And when you think about all the stuff that goes on in our world, there's more than enough evidence, more than enough evidence to make you bitter. The way to become better is to shut that stuff out and go into your own stuff. You know, as they say, the best way to get out of a hole is put down the shovel. And sometimes we dig so deep into, into things that don't matter. We major in minor things trying to avert and, and circumvent that which is important. Life is very, very short. The second time I was DOA was uh, when I was 27 in a car accident, just uh, three weeks after I got married in 1986 and hit by a drunk driver broadside and no pulse and covered up and cut out of the car. So after you have had that twice, I don't want a third one. I don't want to wake up, call to say, listen, life is short. Deal with your shit or will be with you. And part of you being here is to break the chains which held those before you down. And so as I'm getting ready to wrap this one up, I'm looking across my studio here, my office, at the 1958 Grundig stereo that was my mom and dad's wedding gift to each other. And there are pictures on the top. And this is a young couple, uh, really in, in the prime of their lives. Before, it was like two years before I even got, well, it was about a year before I was born. And I'm looking at them with their bright eyes and not a worry line on their face, their hands and arms around each other. And thinking about how that's where they started and where it ended was just very, very difficult. And a lot of reason of that is because they just didn't deal with it. Deal with it or it will deal with you. That's a guarantee. Until next time, be well, safe travels. Keep the faith. Adios.